uh, lesson <clears throat> is going to really focus on attitudinal giving. Attitudinal giving. You see, folks, God doesn't need your money. Okay? You know, this sounds like a hard thing to say. You know? Give me $9.95 and I'll give you a prayer cloth. You can put it on your dashboard. Give me a dollar, it'll become a thousand. Give me five hundred, you'll get a house. You see, you you've you've heard it all. You've heard every abrogation of 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 biblical teaching. All you have to do is turn on TV and switch the channels. And I'm going to tell you something. God does not need your money. His work is going to go on whether you give it or not. But you need to demonstrate your love and obedience to him. And that's what this is about. Love and obedience. Understanding Lord Jesus, whatever I have, it's yours. You only want part of it back, Lord? I should be prepared to give it all back. And that's really how you have to think about your Christian walk. That's as simple as you have to be. And here's the thing. What's key to God is how you give. What is your attitude when you give? Are you giving as if somebody's got their hand on your wallet and you're just, I just, I'm sick and tired of these messages? When does it stop? Or, I mean, is that kind of what, you know, is that, is that the way it is with you? Is that how your, 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 your giving process is affected? Because we're going to hear today in this lesson what Jesus says about attitude. And so what I've decided to do is I'm going to do a little stick, a little shtick as we call it from the New York area, shtick. I'm going to give you an example of how God does not want you to give. All right? This is how God does not want you to give. And many of you may know people like this. I hope it's not you. But I want you to imagine, I brought a check even to show you how this, how this is done. And this is a bad attitude. This is not what God wants and I want you to imagine that the collection plate is coming down to my row. And I'm in my seat. And I have a check. And now you're going to hear arrogance and pride and bad thoughts about giving. Oh, the collection plate is coming my way. Oh, I'm humbled that I'm going to be able to write a very big check. Because after all, if I don't write this check, this church will probably have to close down. In fact, when I look at it, when they get this check, they're probably, they're probably going to make me president of the deacon board. <laughs> In fact, when they get it, they'll probably bring me up on stage and ask me to give my testimony. This is really going to be big. I can't believe it myself, just as I think about it. But you know, when I was going to write this check, I was going to fold it and put it down quietly. But now that I think about it, <laughs> now that I think about it, my check could inspire other people, not only on this row, but in the whole church. So you know what I'm going to do? First of all, I'm going to print the money really big. And then I'm going to place the check like this in the plate. This way, everybody else can see it. 
Now, wait a minute. No. No. Better than that, I'm going to put it on the lip of the plate. <laughs> See? I'm going to put it on the lip of the plate. That way, nobody can miss it as it goes down the row. And in fact, yes, that's what I'm going to do because there's a good chance as I put it on the lip, as it gets past, it'll float off the plate. It'll float to the ground. And as the plate goes on, somebody else in another row will have to pick it up. And when they pick it up, they're going to go, whoa, this is a big check. We need to run to that plate so that the church can go on. You see why you have a lawyer teaching this? <laughs> That's exactly how God does not want us to give. Okay? That's exactly how God does not want to us to give. You're going to hear today that attitude is everything as we approach giving. Everything. It is about attitude. And so as we go through this, turn your Bibles first, if you would, to Matthew 23, verse 23. And we read this verse before, but now we're going to read it for a different purpose. Now we're going to read it for attitude. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others and so what we see here is that tithing is equated with judgment mercy and faith and so it's so clear to us that how God wants us to give the Pharisees and the scribes were hypocrites they were into public manifestations of their giving they would parade around. Trumpets would go off. There would be a parade as they would come in with their, with their gifts. And yet, at the same time, they were making these public demonstrations. They failed in, un, in, in mercy, in faithfulness, and justice. And so, God is warning us about our attitudes. Yes, you understand last week we talked about the legality and God's ownership of the tithe. Now we're going to focus on your attitude as you give back to God what is his to start with. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. We are, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. This is Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Can you imagine? It's very simple. If you're giving, if you're giving because you want to raise your status amongst your friends, you want to be viewed as extra righteous, as extra generous. And you're doing it, you're doing it, and the attitude that you're doing it is because you want to be seen publicly. Well, then what you're going to get is no, no reward for that giving in heaven. 
That's it. You're going to be getting a worthy reward. Yes, people will make a big deal about you if that's what's important to you. People will extol you. You'll be getting esteem. If that means a lot to you, you're going to get that. But your reward in heaven is zero. This is how serious this is. All right? So that even if you were giving tithes, how you give it predominates. Thus, Jesus goes on, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees you in secret, will reward you. I can't think of a better expression than do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, you see the nature of how God wants giving done. He wants it done in such a low-key way, in such a way that you're not seeking personal esteem. You're not seeking praise. You're not seeking to be raised up to some position, but instead you're humbly going before God and worshiping God. This is a worship experience. I think this is not, not taught enough. This is a worship experience. You are proving back to God how much you love him. That's what this is about. We have, in so many churches, I think they miss the boat. They constantly talk about the money, the money, the money. It's not the money. It's not the money. As I've prayed about this and really have sought God's help in, in trying to teach this, I've really, as the Holy Spirit has revealed to me, this is not about the money. And you, you, you are obsessed about the money and you lose the blessing. This is about obedience and love. It is about demonstrating to God that you understand his commandments and that you are giving him back what he has given to you in just some small proportion. And you're doing it in a way not to seek personal glory, but you're doing it to worship him. And I think if we understand this, we understand what God wants from us. And so God condemns pride in every manifestation of it. And you know that pride is probably the principal sin of humanity. Right? You think about it right from the Garden of Eden. Dude, did God tell you that you can't? Come on. God, he doesn't want you to be as... You're right. Why can't I be? I should. That's, I, it's right here. I can do that. And then you see, Satan understands that because after all, who is the king of pride? Satan. He was right there at the right hand of God. He was the highest of all the angels. He was the highest created being. And yet it wasn't good enough for him because he had envy and pride. He looked at Jesus and it drove him nuts to such an extent that he led an entire angelic revolt. And so you see the danger of pride, how God understands this and how pride cannot even get into our, our giving. So we must take care that our obedience, and this is it, our obedience and our love to God does not lead to pride. And so, turn, if you would, also to Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Matthew chapter 6. And again, God is giving you the divine economy. 
This is the divine economy. It's very different from man's economy. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. Amen. This is an important verse, folks. Because you see, if you spend your life going like this, grabbing as much as you can and accumulating and thinking it's all yours, it's all yours. I told you on the day that you died, my father used to say, this is what you do. Right? This is what you do. You go like this. You give it all away. But instead, if you've spent your life understanding that whatever he has given you, he owns, and you're going to give him back as much as you possibly can, starting with the tithe, but more if God leads you that way, because you love him and it's his anyway, you are laying up a treasure in heaven. That's what he says. Not my words. It's God's words. You're laying up a treasure in heaven. Effectively, you're sending it on in advance. You're sending it on in advance. And so, look at how God viewed, how Jesus viewed uh, giving in the divine economy. Turn, if you would, for me, please, to Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And he sat down, and this is Jesus. He's sitting there outside the temple. He's watching, he's looking at how people give. How people give. How they turned in their tithes. And here's, what, here's what, the, what it says in Mark. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now you see the, the economy of God. It's not about the money. This woman puts in two mites. It was equivalent to one penny. It was everything that she had. God had touched her heart. She had demonstrated to God, God, I love you. I know that you will take care of me. I believe that this is what you want me to do, and I will give you this because I know that you will take care of me. And you see how God looks? God doesn't look for the guy with the big check. He doesn't look for the guy with the big check, the guy who's built some wing. He looks instead to the proportionality of the giving who is truly giving sacrificially. He looks at the heart. And this poor widow had turned it all over. And Jesus said her gift was more than everybody else together. This is an astonishing statement by Jesus. And so what it means is that God deals in proportions. God looks at the sacrifice. And so this is an important issue for you to understand. Uh, and so the point of this is 
that we as human beings don't operate that way. We would say, oh, good, all right, that's nice, you made that gift, but please move on so we can get some of these heavier hitters in. We don't want to miss these people out. They're giving us big checks. Thank you, we appreciate your gift. And do you see how that's not how God wants you to live? And for many of us who are down in our luck, who have gone through some difficult times, I know some of us feel like this. Well, I look around. I only can do this small amount. What is my, what is my part going to do? What is my part going to do? Really? I could use it more. And you're robbing God. And it's not that he needs your money. He needs your love. He needs to see the public demonstration that you understand what he's done for you in so many ways. And that's what you're missing out on. And so I want to emphasize this to you, that God looks at the sacrificial state of your giving. And so you may not think your gift is large enough, but it has nothing to do with how large it is. God looks at your heart. And so when you look at the widow's example, what do we see? First of all, she gave sacrificially. What does that mean? She gave it all, and when she gave it all, she recognized that Jesus, God, would take care of her. I know that when I give this money, when I give this sacrifice, when I make this to the Lord, that he will take care of me. That he will know that this is a sacrifice for me, and he will honor that. Now, I'm not saying you go and give everything and wind up being on the curb. I'm not saying that. God doesn't tell us to do that. But I say that in your giving, you need to prayerfully ask God what he wants you to do. And it starts with the tithe. That's what his word tells us. Now, what else about the widow? She had no expectation of personal recognition. Come on, I'm just a poor person. Who's going to extol me? Who's going to make me the head of the deacon board? Who's going to bring me up front and ask me to give a testimony that's going to inspire thousands of people? That's not going to happen. She came in quietly. She gave her gift and she, gave, she left quietly. But Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. And Jesus sees what you're doing. I want to emphasize this. This is a big deal to God. This really is. He's equated it with mercy justice and faithfulness make no mistake about it don't diminish how god views this and so he took note of what she did and so this is an important part of our spiritual life understanding this now i want to go back to malachi malachi chapter 3 and when we talked about that malachi chapter 3 and we 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 started with verses 8 and 9. Malachi chapter 3. And you know, these are harsh words. As God talks and speaks through the prophet to the people of Israel. And what he says, You have robbed me. Will a man rob God? Yes, you have robbed me. You are cursed with a curse. Even this whole nation. Can you imagine God speaking like that? And why, what was the pretext of this? What happened? Well, if you study Malachi, you will see that this was a period of success. They were in a period of peace. Prior to that, under the two prior prophets, 
There had been evangelism. People had been coming back to God. They'd be becoming more dedicated. But now they're getting into the period of lethargy, like post-Christian America, okay? Where the great evangelical movements of the last century are, are exited. And now you don't see thousands and thousands of people coming to God in these great crusades in America. You don't see it. You'll see it other places in the world, but you don't see it here. And so what happens? We get into a period of self-satisfaction. Oh, I'm good. Look, God knows. I'm doing the best I can. Tithing, come on. Really, that's Old Testament. This is exactly what was going on here. And God says, you have robbed me. And I will place a curse. And I, this is a serious topic that we need to talk about. And so... I want you to read and understand the context of that verse, that you, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And if you turn to verse 6, you see the context. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Oh my good Lord, what are you saying? He called them sons of Jacob. You think that was a good thing? You didn't want to be called the son of Jacob. If you were called the son of Jacob, basically what you were told is, you schemer, you supplanter. You know? That's exactly what you are. You, you fraudster. You're committing a fraud. When God said, you sons of Jacob, that's exactly what he said. Only one other place in the Old Testament is that language used. You sons of Jacob. And what does he say? I am God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am constant. I don't change. And therefore, you're not consumed. It makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I think about it. He saw their disobedience. He saw that they were robbing him. He called them schemers and supplanters, even though they were self-satisfied. And yet, he didn't rob them, but he said there was a curse. There was a curse upon them. And this is a serious topic. And so it says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. In other words, it was a corporate curse. The whole state of Israel was under that curse because they had done that. Families were under that curse. There's a corporate curse. I don't know what the curse is. The Bible doesn't tell us what the curse is. But is that a game you want to play? Is that a game? Is that something you want to toy with? When God says, when you don't obey this, there is a curse? I would think not. Even this whole nation, meaning that there's a corporate judgment. There's a corporate judgment. So, there's an individual judgment. There's a corporate judgment that extends within a family, within a church, and within a country. But I don't want to end... I don't want to end on the negative. I want to end this topic on the positive. And the positive in that chapter is verses 10 through 12. Malachi chapter 3, 10 through 12, one of the most sensational promises you see made in the Bible, where God lays out very clearly a conditional promise. And let's read it, because this is really where we want to be. Bring ye all the tithes, into the storehouse there there may be meat in mine house and prove me now 
herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Prove me. You bring it, and you prove to see if what I say is not true. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Oh, my. God, what are you saying to me? You're going to open up heaven and pour out blessings that are going to be so magnificent that I'm not even going to have room to receive it? Yes. Does that mean you're going to drive a fancy car? No. Does that mean you're going to live in a real big house? No. Okay? Let's get that out of the way. You know, you see these things on TV where they make these ridiculous uh, uh, promises as if giving is equated to your bank account. Eliminate that. God will take care of you, but the promises are from heaven. Opening the window of heaven. Imagine to be blessed by God, to have the peace of God, not just you, but your family, your children, your extended family. Just think about it. And think about this, that God in blessing you would raise you up, would find a place in his ministry for you where he will bless you and use you and multiply what you're doing. God blessing you from heaven. And then you could take this to the bank and you won't go to the poorhouse. Okay? You can take that to the bank because he's going to give you exactly what you need. It may not be what you want. You may want more. But he knows what you need. And for some of us, I'm sorry to say, for some of us, if we had wealth, we wouldn't be in church. Okay? My father used to say to me, which shocked me, you know what? He says, I know God wants me to be poor because I'm afraid that if I were rich, I wouldn't be serving him anywhere as well as I can being poor. And I think he understood it. Some of us can't handle affluence. Okay? I know you're saying to me, oh, Brother John, don't give me that curse. <laughs> I actually said that to my father myself when he told me that when I was 13. I said, oh, I hope, I hope this doesn't apply to me. But the point is, you see, when you put yourself before the Lord and you lay, you lay it on the altar, the Lord knows what you need and what you can handle. Okay? Because at the end of the day, it's all about your spiritual life. And I want to f continue finishing this up as we come to an end. And so, as he says, and then he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. What are you talking about? You're going to rebuke Satan for me? Yes. And he shall not dis destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, said the Lord of hosts. In other words, Satan will be kept away from you. Oh, that doesn't mean things are going to happen in your life. You're going to suffer some problems. Everybody does. But he's not going to win. He's going to put a wall of protection around you. And not just you, your family. What a wonderful promise this is. You know, look at this. Even they're talking in an agricultural sense. The things that you, you grow in the field, they'll prosper. You've seen people that aren't godly people, aren't with the Lord, who've tried to do a number of things and things fail. And yet you look at other people in the Lord and you'll see and you'll say, well, I can't understand it. Those people, look at the blessings in those people's lives. Look at the happiness that those people have. And you wonder about it. This is the blessing of God. And it goes not just to you, it'll go to your family. This is a corporate promise. And then look at the last line. 
and all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord. In other words, in other words, God will raise you up. You didn't raise yourself up. You didn't parade about, but God raises you up. And when God raises you up, then you're truly blessed because other people look at, at you and say, I want to be like them. Then you become truly an evangelist for the work. And so godly tithing has a proportion. It has a place. It has a, it has a purpose. It has a promise. And it has a protection. Amen? All right, let's close, let's close on this topic. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you've been with us, that you've given us these words. And Lord, I ask that on this difficult topic that you multiply these words in our heart, that we continue to reflect on it, Lord, that we continue to contemplate it and put it into action, Lord, because we want to demonstrate to you that we love you. And if we failed in the past, much of it is because of ignorance, Lord, but now we're not. We understand this topic, Lord, and so we ask you to give us the grace to understand what we need to do and to serve you better. I ask a wall of protection around these dear people this week. Protect them and bring them back again safely next week so we can continue the study of the word. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.